At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Six points. Go hard. Here's Ennis. So my apologies to everybody listening and everybody on the on the uh, podcast today to have to listen to that one more time. But uh, just thought since we uh, here at Troy Noons is an absolute podcast, decided to come together for an emergency meeting. Uh, we needed to have a brief reminder why. Uh, this is Sean Keeley. Welcome to the podcast. And of course, if you're listening to this, you pretty much know why we're uh, we're having a special show today. The Syracuse Orange lost to the Dayton Flyers in the round of 32, the third round, whatever you want to call it. And uh the season is over, the 2013-14 season which um which started so so well and uh ended so weirdly. Uh is finally over. So um I called together some some noonsers uh to kind of talk about what happened and and where we go from here. Um uh, just some brief intros. Uh Dan Lyons is on the the line. Dan, how you doing? Uh, it's been better. I considering last night and uh, apparently you go to Greensboro, North Carolina and you haven't been there for a while, you get sick if you eat Bojangles. I would have assumed you get sick eating Bojangles regardless. I didn't expect it to be like a throat situation. I thought I'd just like uh no I didn't do it. Uh yeah. Alright, well uh hopefully we'll You'll feel. We'll try to make you feel better with this one. Um, moving on, uh, Jared Smith is also on the line. Jared, always a pleasure. Uh, hey, it's back to be. It's good to be back together again. Unfortunately, it's in uh, <laughs> dire circumstances, but hey, you know, it's, at least you can get together and talk about uh, our problems and our issues and work them out together. Yeah, and Jared has a great uh, YouTube video uh, venting his frustrations after the game. Make sure you check that out on the site. <laughs> uh and yeah. then uh yeah. And uh Lisa Nelson uh joining us. Lisa writes about uh well you mostly you've been writing about basketball, I think. I have been. When you've called upon me to write about football, it's usually um me pretending I know what I'm talking about and using a lot of generalizations that I hear everybody else use, hoping that I get something right. So uh I'm learning. I'm learning, but we're we're pretty focused on basketball. Yeah, that's all right. We're all making it up as we go anyway. Uh, well, cool. Well, thanks for joining me tonight, and let's just get down to it. Um, you know, the game itself, as far as I could see, was kind of the, the typical uh, game for Syracuse in the last couple months, wherein it becomes abundantly clear early on that Syracuse is not is going to struggle shooting, uh, we're going to spend the entire game feeling like we're not supposed to win this, yet we're going to stay within striking distance the entire time because, just based on talent and defense and, and maybe some coaching. Uh, but in spite of ourselves, we'll, we'll be there in the, in the final seconds with a chance to win, and at that point we'll see what happens. And, uh, of course, it um, it didn't happen. Tyler Ennis's, uh shot bounce off the rim and that was that. Um I'll start with uh Dan. Dan, what did you what was kind of your feeling? Was there a point in the game where you kind of felt like uh uh oh this might not work out for us and and you know, what did you what did you see out of out of the team? Um I think I think that last big three that Dayton hit, I think it was Cyber. Uh one of the one that uh Put it over the edge for me. Uh, obviously, with with Ennis and the ball, with when Ennis had the ball in his hands, those last two possessions, I thought there was a good chance he would do something with it. But it just had that feeling of like one of those games, kind of like the Georgia Tech game or the BC game, where just nothing. You didn't have, you didn't feel like the team had Ojo that they had earlier on in the season. Um, and it was just it was a thing because I feel like after the Western Michigan game and after the Florida State game, 
we kind of tricked ourselves into believing that like it was all the issues that we had was more of a slump than it was just a real serious issue with the team. Um, and the Dayton loss really seems to swing out the other way, where like this team just was a really awful shooting team, and maybe the first 25 games were the best they could possibly be, but really at the end. I don't know. That just kind of makes it, it's kind of a disappointing way to, considering how well the team started. And I think, um, you know, if the team had added some losses earlier on, maybe it wouldn't be as bad. But to go 25 and 0 and then to lose to a to a 8-10 team in the third round of 32 is just a tough way to go out, especially when there's just no semblance of offense on our end. Yeah, I, I was gonna say that I agree that after that Western Michigan win, it. I think we all kind of tricked ourselves into thinking that the losses were the anomaly and, and instead of it being the other way around. Uh, Jared, do you? Uh, what was kind of your sense, of, you know, with the game itself? When, What was your feeling, like, as it was going on? And, um, you know, was there anything in particular, especially in, at the end of the game, that kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> there were plenty of things that stand out, but I guess... Um, you know, what did you kind of take away from the game itself? Well, that YouTube clip that you mentioned uh, before, you know, we kind of get going here, uh, that happened about when Syracuse was trailing. And, like, it was just that I've never been so frustrated uh, by a game this season except for the one in Dayton. It wasn't because the, the frustration was more of Dayton was awful. Like, they were they weren't very good. And, I, you know, you can – Say all you want about, you know, they beat Ohio State, uh, you know, they got into the tournament, so they must be good. This team was not good, and that's and that's the frustrating part is we were, our Syracuse was playing down to their level and just couldn't make anything. And then nothing was going Syracuse's way, um, and it just was just so frustrating. Uh, you know, because just to see the you know, talent on the floor for Syracuse, you know, with Ennis and Grant, who are probably going to be lottery picks uh, someday. Hopefully it's next year, but someday. And Fair may be able to play in the NBA. If not, he's definitely playing professionally somewhere uh, at a high level. And, uh, you know, Chris, this is probably going to do the same thing. You know, he may not be an NBA guy, but he's definitely playing professionally somewhere. And, uh, you know, you look at Dayton's roster, you know, I don't think any of those guys are playing in the NBA um, or are going to be stars on a, a, a team overseas. Uh, and, and so it's just it, that's a huge frustrating part. You just watch that game, and it was just a grind. And I, you know, I've gotten so frustrated about these slow it down games. Archie Miller is the biggest liar on the face of the earth. He <laughs> tried. He tried to. He tried to sell so much that Dayton was going to run, push the tempo. They did nothing of the sort. They were milking that clock so badly. And Syracuse, as they did pretty much all season long, just kind of fell into the trap. I don't know if that was uh, by design for Beheim because he just kind of knew that maybe this team wasn't as good as uh, offensively as it needed to be, so they were going to have to outsmart teams and outgrind them. Um, but Dayton just did what everybody else does against Syracuse and just milked the clock, played scrappy, won the 50-50 balls, and jacked up two three three-pointers at the end that went in, and it just was so frustrating. Uh, I pretty much thought it was going to be we, we were done. And then we made that little 10-2 run, and we got the lead, and I'm like, Dayton can't score. This is awesome. Dayton can't score. You know, we get a three-, four-point lead. We're all set. And, uh, yeah, then that was just awful. I mean, they, they, they come back down, and they nail a couple three-pointers. Uh, you know, one of them, like, banked off. Or one was like a Tiger Woods, like, back iron bring it back into the brim shot. I don't know how it went in. And then that was just kind of it. You just kind of knew that things just, we're going to need a miracle. And it almost happened. Uh, but, man, it was just so frustrating. And, you know, that's it, it, just all season long, at least the, the second half of the season. It was There was a lot of glorious moments this year, a lot of happy moments. But, man, the last month, two months were just a grind and just awful on our hearts and our souls. <laughs> Syracuse basketball, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so, Lisa, what uh, uh, from that 
note, uh, keeping that through line, of all the frustrating things that that you watched in the game, what what did you take away as like the most frustrating part? I think for me is that Mike Benajay finally got it together. Interesting. And we couldn't and we couldn't pull it out. Like Mike Benajay was what four for four or some or three for three. He did a great job, and he all we kept saying all year was. You know, Trevor doesn't have to be amazing, but he can't suck. CJ doesn't have to be amazing, but he can't be awful. Jeremy doesn't have to be perfect, but we just need one more guy. And Mike finally did it. He did it. And all everybody else, with the exception of Tyler Ennis, of course, at the end, they were all just not hitting anything. They were just not hitting anything. And the, the finally, when we get someone else to step up and contribute a little bit more, which is also what Beheim was saying all year, that – he needed a little bit more production from his bench. He finally gets it, and everybody else has an off night, an off entire life for all we know because of the way the rest <laughs> of the season went. And he's the guy that did it, and it was frustrating for me that Beheim finally got what he wanted and nobody else could do anything, and then we lost. Yeah, it was kind of amazing, like, how – I mean, streaky is one – I'm used to Syracuse teams being streaky, and, you know, this guy has a good game, and, that, and then all of a sudden he has a bad game. I've never seen a team go from hot to cold quite like the guys on this team. I mean, it's kind of amazing. And, uh, or quite I, I as think, in sync. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, at the same time, at least you would think one of them would. I mean, as much as Ennis, you know, did what he could and CJ had a couple moments, it just wasn't what we were, were ready for. And, yeah, I remember thinking that at one point. I think I tweeted, like, I'm at the point where I want them to give the ball to Ben and Jay. What is going on? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. so you know, we we lose the game, and uh, and so now it's you know a lot of second guessing, and and I saw a lot of stuff, uh, especially right after the game about you know uh, about specifically about Bayheim and how you know the usual stuff about how he's done and you know blah 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 and all that, but it was the the thing that I thought stuck out to me and kind of frustrated me was the whole thing about um, you know. Bayheim's failure was that he couldn't get these guys to score more, um, especially in, in this game. And I'm watching the game, and I'm like, Bayheim is do has given these guys every opportunity. I mean, th- there was no like it was like you were saying, Dayton did not play a good game, and all Syracuse had to do was hit shots. You hit one three pointer, we probably win this game. Uh, and so, um, you know, I, I think in the face of all the uh, not that it's all about blame, you know. I think there's a lot of issues that go into a season like this. But um, Dan, you know, if we if we are saying, you know, maybe not blame, but like where the issue lies, the fixable issue, like what is that number one fixable issue for this team moving forward? Um, I think that I came to the realization last night, and it's probably been a thing that's bothered me before, but it really came to a head last night. Um, we really need more than one shooter on the court. Um, I'm not yeah. of the opinion that Trevor Tooney just forgot how to shoot. I think he's really struggling to get open where he was last last uh, or earlier in the year. He was able to get himself open. Now, fans, I mean, teams know that they're taking on Tooney. Ennis isn't doing, doesn't have the, or he has the green light, but he's not a quick trigger from three, and he's also not the greatest three point shooter. CJ was great last year at it, but he you know just was not a good shooter this year. Grant will never attempt one. So this year, I mean, Benajay would hit a couple for us, but that was about it. So I'm really hoping that either Ron Patterson or B.J. Johnson, who are both supposed to be pretty good three-point shooters, uh, hopefully not just in the last couple seconds of blowout games, um, one of those two guys or both of those guys emerge, um, not necessarily as starters, but just so we have the option of putting two or three guys who could hit a three reliably out on the court, because I think that would take a lot of pressure off of Cooney or whoever else is the designated shooter. Um, I think the 2010 team is still probably the best team I've seen here, and that had uh, Andy Routens and Wes Johnson, who are both 40% shooters. So neither of them could totally get locked down, or else the other one was likely going to be able to get himself open. Um, and this team obviously didn't have that. Yeah, and, and I'm not entirely sure. I look at the roster and uh, and the incoming guys and, and see that. So definitely uh, something to keep an eye on. Uh, Jared, what do you think as far as like what's the what's the the number one thing now heading into the off season? What do we have to focus on? 
Well, Dan actually made a very good point, and I was actually thinking the exact same thing today, was how much Trevor Cooney is going to get killed in the offseason um, for his just inconsistent shooting. And, you know, this is not to make excuses for Trevor, um, because, you know, hey, let's face it, he did have a lot of good open looks throughout the last couple of weeks that just didn't go down. But with that said, you know, there is no other, there was no other threat on the courts that, you know, could help him out. I mean, if, if the state, if the team just has to, you know, key on one three-point shooter and not worry about the wings or anything like that. I mean, that's that's the whole thing. Well, where was our wing three-point shooter? We didn't have we didn't have one guy that could go off to the wing and shoot a three three three-point shot and make it consistently. And uh, that's huge for a team offensively because that really helps spread things out. So yeah, I'm with Dan on that one. But the one thing I think about this team, and I might get some flack for that for this comment, but in is effort. And I don't want to say in an effort in the sense that they didn't care, that they didn't want to win, and they didn't try hard, and they didn't practice hard. It's that extra oomph that a team needs to have, that just or that killer instinct. Like I saw that today from Kentucky, which is crazy. Um, but I saw, you know, I saw it a little bit in spurts from Wichita State today. Just that extra little thing that it seemed like other teams, like Michael Carter Williams had or Brandon Trish had, like those guys you know, late in games or, you know, whatever it was, they were just going to, you know, click it up just an extra notch. Um, and it just didn't seem that anyone on this team could do that. Um, and that's sort of what I thought was missing a little bit. It just seems like everyone worked together as a team, but, you know, when everyone else was collapsing, um, every, you know, that, that player collapsed as well. And they didn't have that extra gear that they could go to to help anyone out. And I guess that goes, you know, to the, the scoring, the offense, and why kind of everybody kind of went into the fold as everybody else struggled. Um, I just kind of saw that as one of the biggest issues, especially the last couple of months, of not having that extra gear that they could go to. And maybe that's because, you know, we peaked. We've talked about this before. We peaked at the wrong time. That Duke game was a huge game for them. And it, that's when they had that extra gear. And from then on, it just didn't seem like they could get there. Uh, so that's that was one of the things that stood out to me the most. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. That's fair enough. Uh, Lisa, how about you? Is there something you know maybe other than um, finding some some help for Trevor on the outside that you think is kind of uh, a huge focus for next year? Um, I do, and it's interesting that I thought this because I'd been saying for a little while how the key, the team finally found chemistry. They've been playing well together as a unit. And I think it's kind of a chicken and the egg thing that they play better when they're doing better. They talked about roughly the same thing at the end of the Western Michigan game. You know, when someone starts hitting shots, it, everyone feeds off of it. Everyone gets better. Everyone shoots better. It's a confidence thing as a whole. And kind of springboarding off of what Jared was saying, um, no one had that extra gear this year because there just happened to be people, individual personalities that are just less emotional. You don't have Eric Devendorf who's going to shout. You don't have Andy Routens, who did get pretty amped up. Wes Johnson got amped up. Chris Joseph and Scoop Jardine, even at times, they really did get excited. And we've talked all along and made jokes about how Tyler Ennis, C.J. Fair, and definitely Mike Benajay, Raheem Christmas, they really don't have an explosive emotional personality, which is in part why they're great because they, a lot of times you can't tell if they're getting rattled. But at the same time, that is the kind of thing that brings your team up a level. When you can see one of your leaders get hot and show emotion about it, or when you see one of your team members miss too much and then get emotional about it as well. So something that might be interesting to improve upon is one of those team extras, not necessarily bonding, but getting each other amped as a unit, finding someone who can do that. I know that Ron Patterson is kind of like that for them. I, when I spoke with Tyler Ennis a while ago after the Boston College game, he mentioned that a lot of the guys on the bench, a lot of the freshmen, do give them that spark when they get on the bench. They're always behind them. They're always cheering them on. But that needs to translate on the court as well. And if those guys aren't going to get on the court, the team that's on the court needs to find a way to get that energy from the bench into the way that they play, whether that's a team unity thing or whether that's getting fresh blood and having a roster that's, you know, playing more than six or seven guys, which I get, you know, there were injuries, but there needs to be a way 
to get fresh blood in there. That's why Bayheim does his patented six-man spark off the bench. He does that for a reason. And the guy that needs to be that six-man, it used to be Jeremy Grant before Dewan Coleman went down. He does have the energy. He does get excited. But when he has to start, he's not the six-man off the bench anymore. And to have that energy is something that Bayheim knows they need, and they haven't had it for a little while. So depending on how the roster ends up for next year, that sixth man that goes in from Bayheim is going to be the guy that, in his opinion, has the energy to give back to Syracuse's roster on the court what they didn't have at the end of the season. Yeah, I just want to jump in real quick to build off of that comment. And and that's a beautiful point. I mean, that's just right on, I thought. Uh, it, but just when Benajay went in last night, you could tell the difference. And is it not like just the way he was playing? Like visually, you could see it like, wow, this guy is like, he came to play today. And I think that's what Lisa's talking about. And sort of what I'm talking about is it was, and that's sort of the perfect aspect of that six man off the bench is there was that spark. You know, Dion Waiters was great to have that. Chris Joseph was really good at that. Uh, Sutherland was great at that. Just that guy that could come off and then start. And it just seemed like Benajay tried to do that last night and no one else could kind of feed on top of that. And maybe that's just the personality of this team. But, yeah, that was a great point by uh, Lisa there. <laughs> well, thank you, sir. <laughs> no, I, I agree. And I think, um, you know, hopefully I feel like the the freshmen this year are still kind of a big unknown. So, um, you know, hopefully there there's somebody in there who kind of has that spark. Because I agree. I mean, sometimes I look at other teams, and, and I even saw this a little bit in Dayton, where you just get a sense of, the the emotional impact of of big plays and and momentum and all of that and not that you need that specifically to be successful but I agree that you know when things got tough that there didn't really seem to be a, an emotional anchor for this team and so uh, hopefully somebody develops into that but um, you know we, you brought up Jeremy Grant you brought up Tyler Ennis and uh, obviously the the big discussion right now is whether or not either or one of those guys is going to come back. I'm just going to put it right to you guys, starting with Dan. Uh, Dan, is Tyler Ennis coming back? Is Jeremy Grant coming back? Or are they both gone? Um, Done to my head, I'll say they're both gone, just because the only person to come back the last five years has been CJ, and CJ was a borderline prospect, and these two are not borderline prospects. So... I'm going to assume the worst and say they will not be back, although I certainly will welcome them back if they want to. Jared? Uh, I think the odds of them coming back or are better than what people are putting it at. Um, I mean, and that I have no inkling of this, but I did see a, a couple tweets from Mike Waters uh, before the tournament started mentioning that he, if he were to, you know, uh, Give a you know percentage on it that he would he was thinking that both were coming back, um, and you know the, I don't know whether that, that's just him talking to the players or figuring out who you know who's making decisions around their camps, um, but I mean you know I Sean you do you always say this you know you're never gonna you know mock a kid for going to the NBA taking the check I will never do that um, you know if they decide to do that that's you know their personal decision and I'm I back them 100. percent but um, I mean, you can't. But we can sit here and debate this long and hard. Um, both players need work. I mean, I, I mean, as much as Ennis was, uh, you know, the staple in Syracuse this year, the consistent guy that you can always go to. Um, you know, he's still got some work to do. Same thing with Jeremy Grant. I mean, as Dan said, um, he he can't take a three-point shot. He's a, he's been range jumpers inconsistent. Um, he, he still needs to bulk up. I mean, the kid can jump out of the building. It brings a lot of energy. But, um, I mean, he's playing against guys that are uh, much older than he is, a lot, a lot bigger than he is, and has, a lot, you know, at, at times a lot more talent than he is. And they can shoot, too, so that helps. So, I mean, they should come back. Um, and I would put the percentages higher than what a lot of people are. But, uh, yeah, I think I think everyone is kind of planning for the worst. Yeah. Uh, Lisa, how about you? I think we're going to split. I think Jeremy's gone and Tyler's coming back, mostly because Syracuse has started to develop its reputation as not only being six-man you, but two-and-done you. A lot of people are coming to Syracuse understanding that Jim Beheim is the guy that's going to make you pay your dues for a year, learn the system, get better, and then you can be on your way if you're good enough. Jeremy's at that point. He's just finished his sophomore year, 
and he's bright. He's on the draft board, so he's going to take advantage of that opportunity. And to use a relevant example, wouldn't want to pull a Marcus Smart where even though he was phenomenal and will still be drafted early on, a lot of people have thought that his draft stock took a hit because of the way that their season went at Oklahoma State. Jeremy didn't want to make that risk. And since Syracuse has patented that kind of two-and-done thing, especially you know with Deion Waiters and Michael Carter-Williams uh, of, of late, I don't think he's going to take the chance because he's already up there high enough on the draft board that it makes sense for him to go. On the other hand, I think Tyler Ennis understands that this was his first year, and he can do a lot. He's a smart guy. I really think he's a very smart guy. I think he's got his eye on two and done. I really do. As good as he would be in the NBA right now, like what the guy said before, he does need a little bit of work, but I think he recognizes it. Not that he's a bad player by any stretch of the imagination, but I think he recognizes that another year will help, and he can still fall into that two-and-done category that has become kind of Syracuse's thing. I think he'll take advantage of it. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think across the board, I think all you, I could agree with all three of you. And um, I, I still, I don't know, I guess I'm just so used to this by now that CJ aside, uh, I've talked myself into a guy staying way too too many times to to assume anybody's going to stay. So I still kind of feel like they're both going to go, although you're absolutely right. Both of them still need work. But um, at the end of the day, if um, – you know, if the NBA draft advisors tell them their lottery picks or close to it, I I just don't know if they'll stay. Uh, I hope they do. I mean, I, I somebody asked me on Twitter what I thought next year's starting lineup was going to look like if Ennis and Grant both go, and I actually couldn't even think of a fifth person. I or, or I I could, and I didn't want to think of it. So um, <laughs> I, I'm a little. I, yeah, I guess I'm just a little concerned and. Uh, uh, I mean, I'll just throw that out there. I don't, if anybody wants to to take it, you know, how concerned are you about next year's lineup if Ennis and Grant both leave? I'll I'll answer it a little bit. I thought about this a little bit today, um, and you know, if you know Grant and Ennis go, and then you're looking at what Ron Patterson and Caleb Joseph as probably our point guards, Benajay is probably running a little bit of a point too, and. Cooney, you know, I would expect Benajay to be a pretty solid player by next year. It seemed like he was making strides. I think Cooney's going to be better. I mean, people may not think this, but, you know, how awful was Cooney his freshman year? And then he came into this year, and it was very, you know, improved quite a bit. Um, I think Christmas is still going to be a solid player. Um, you know, it seemed like his offensive game was moving up just a little bit better this year. Um, and he's sort of finding that edge that he needs to. So those are three guys that really don't, you know. And then, of course, you still got, like, you know, Lisa said you still have that kind of that sophomore guy like Roberson who could take that sophomore leap, sort of like maybe a Dion Waiters did. Um, and I really like Roberson. I've liked, I've liked him. Uh, I've heard a lot of good things about him, especially his offensive game. And, you know, we got you know, a lot of those guys that sat the bench this year. They have a lot to prove next year. And that's sort of their chip on their shoulder coming in the next year. So, I mean, every year we've done this for the last, I don't know, how many years, Sean, uh, just trying to figure out who's going to come back and how the team's going to look like. And Bayheim and company somehow, some way, find a, you know, finagle a roster together that does pretty well and surprises us all. So uh, I'm not too concerned at this point. But uh, I would really like them to be back. You know, I'm going to jump on that real quick, but I, I completely agree with you, Jared, that, you know, we'd like them to come back. And something that struck me, Sean, when you asked the question was, and I, I have to sit and think about it for a minute to exactly get the years correct and figure out who left when, but we can only reload four positions so often. If we lose four people between CJ and by graduating, Ennis and Grant leaving, that's four people. We lost four people last year. We can only lose four people so many times and quote-unquote reload and be decent until losing four people off of every team starts to have an impact. You know, not only are the, are the, the replacements younger and less experienced, that's going to be a problem in and of itself, but the players haven't played together. Part of the reason that some of the teams, especially the 2010 team, was so good, like Dan mentioned, was because the team, a lot of the guys there, played together for a number of years. That's why Dayton was pretty good. They were gelling. They weren't, they weren't having a great game, but they gelled well because they played together for a while. So it's tough when we lose that many people every year, and it's getting to the point where it's starting to wear us thin. 
Yeah, I, no, I totally understand what you're saying because it's um, – I, I was going to say, you know, when Jared mentioned that, it's, yeah, every season I feel like I read articles where it's, you know, can Syracuse replace the three guys who left or the four guys who left? And I feel like that's been the the question going into the last five seasons, and, and it's almost not even a question anymore. But, yeah, I mean, you're talking about a team that already this year didn't have a lot of depth and the guys who will be stepping in to replace all these people have little to no experience. So, um, I mean, we've done it before, but it's always a, a bit of a unknown that we're walking into. Um, so uh, I guess we'll see. But, uh, you know, looking back at this season, I'm thinking – you know, just a, a weird season. I, you know, I, I almost don't even remember what the expectations were for this year because it's just so much has happened. But um, you know, the ending was was certainly disappointing, and, and we had certainly quite a few weeks of disappointment peppered in there. But I, I just kind of wanted to throw it out there, maybe to get a positive vibe going. Uh, Dan, starting with you, what is kind of your number one favorite? memory or event that you'll take away from this season? Oh, it's got to be between the Duke game and the Tyler Ennis uh, out against Pitt. Um, those were just so ridiculous, both of them for their own reasons. I'd say the Duke game just because um, I was in New York at like, uh, one of the big Syracuse bars. There was a lot of camaraderie and there was three floors of people jumping up and down and going crazy. And it was kind of like our, intro- our, our trial by fire introduction to the ACC. I thought... Um, so I'd say that was probably the biggest positive, and unfortunately it didn't really get any better from there. That was really the uh, the apex of the season. So hopefully we can have some more epic games like that and then also finish well going down the stretch. <laughs> yeah, Jared, how about you? What's kind of when, when you think about this season five years from now, what's the first positive thing that, that you'll be thinking about? Uh, I definitely want to sh- – oh, man, that's tough. The first thing I'm going to think about with the season probably is the NS buzzer beater. Um, not, you know, just because that was sort of that uh, apex moment uh, in that 25-0 uh, run that we had where, um, you know, maybe it, it probably, you know, it made us think bigger about this team than it actually was. But when that shot fell, man, I, the celebration I did in, the, in my house was awesome. Um, I mean, not saying that I I, cel- I, I pretty celebrated with my uh, friends and family after the Duke victory, but uh, to see something like that happen uh, and then just kind of that like up the Tyler Ennis hype level or talk level and kind of really put Syracuse in the national spotlight um, after that win. Uh, so that was kind of nice. That we were, re- I mean, we were riding high after the you know the Duke, but man, when that buzzer beater sank for, at Pittsburgh, it things kind of at you know. Stopped up a little bit. I mean, hey, I, after that game, I think I declared them the national champions, and everybody jumped on me. So, uh, yeah, but that was that. That definitely is going to stick out to my mind uh, when that shot dropped and Ennis put that up. Especially after the, the celebration, like Ennis's face and everyone else. That was, in Bay, what Bayhard did, that was pretty sweet. Yeah, I, I remember at the time when that hit. That was still we were still in that mode where it, it was almost like this is a team of destiny kind of thing. Uh, in, and then how, how quickly did that become, oh, yeah, we only beat Pittsburgh because of a half-court buzzer beater, right? But, um, but no, I, I definitely agree. That was uh, just definitely going to be in, a, in any highlight reel when it comes to uh, Syracuse basketball from now on. Uh, Lisa, how about you? I agree with the, the Tyler Ennis buzzer beater, but I've got to say Tyler Ennis in general. Um, when I watched him during the exhibition games and I worked my butt off to try to find the exhibition games in Canada because I'd heard so much about this kid and I wanted to see it for myself. So I, I found a way to, to stream those games and from the second he stepped on the court, I was like, this kid is special. And I was excited to watch a freshman command the team, lead the team and develop the team through the entire season, which obviously culminated in that buzzer beater, buzzer beater that he had um, but watching him, especially at the Duke game, how composed he was under, you know, what we say are the bright lights, um, a big, huge game. That was the, I was actually able to go to the game, which was phenomenal. Um, I get a birthday present every year that is a 
basketball game in Syracuse, and that's the one I chose. Um, that was also the day that I found out that my bunker includes a Duke fan, and I brought the Duke fan in my bunker to the Syracuse Duke game, which was quite an experience. So that entire thing, um, which culminated, of course, at, at his buzzer beater, was a really great experience just to watch him develop. Uh, and I thought that was a really positive thing to see that this team can be carried and led by a freshman who nobody has played with before. It's not like he's a redshirt freshman who was around the year before, um, but he was brand spanking new and did a great job. Yeah, and uh, hopefully we get uh, we get another season of it. Uh, fingers crossed. Oh, sorry, I don't want to interrupt you. One thing about the Duke game too uh, is it wasn't isn't that sort of like the whole flaw of the season though? Like the the peak or like the the biggest game we've had the whole year was in the middle of the season. I just it just the more I the more everyone talks about it, just the more that kind of irks me a little bit. But I guess that's just how the season goes. I guess. Yeah, I mean, you know, unfortunately, I, 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 as much as I like to make fun of narrative, hashtag narrative, uh, I, I think we unfortunately played into it this year. You know, the Syracuse narrative about how we're really good in the regular season, especially in November and December, and uh, and then we fizzle out towards the end, and we kind of played that to a T. So that that is kind of the the most frustrating thing I think to me when I. Uh, you know, you just hate to give all those the national media folks who just kind of scan the stats in the paper and see what the results are and make their judgments on that. Uh, you hate to give them ammo, and, and that was frustrating. But I do appreciate that the Duke game lived up to the hype and was, I believe it was the highest-rated basketball game of the season, possibly in years, if I remember correctly. And, uh, it was something like the best, the, the most watched tel- uh, game on ESPN, and or the third most watched, or something in the history of the basketball games on the network, or something, something ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I remember before the game, a lot of Duke people were like, like, were making fun of us because we were hyping it up really big and and all that, and then the game happened, and it, and it was almost kind of like, see, this is a big deal. Uh, so I I I was appreciative of that at the time, and and still am because I. I love the fact that that we get to be rivals with them now in in some form. So, um, you know, because I because I think ultimately we we want to be on the same stage as Duke. And, uh, unfortunately, we're on the same stage of being home right now. But you know, in, in terms of like elite programs, I I think it's great for us to constantly be playing them in important games. And that kind of leads into my final question, which is uh, year well, one in the ACC. Whoa, yeah. You didn't give this to your moment. Was that your moment? I interrupted oh, no. you. Oh, I yeah, sorry. That was, that was my very roundabout way of saying that was my moment. <laughs> okay. I, this I, I is back, the moment. I, this back is my moment. You, so I, I wanted to give you your moment. Thank you. You have given me my moment, and this is now my moment. You giving me my moment is now my moment. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, one final moment for everyone. One shining moment. Uh, year uh, one in the ACC. Yeah, sorry. We're only going to get maybe one uh, one clip in one shining moment this year, probably. Oh, well. Uh, where was I? ACC. Year one in the books. Did it live up to your expectations? Uh, do you still feel the pangs of Big East regret? Or are you now... You know, are you excited for to to keep these rivalries going? And uh, you know, with Louisville coming in, you know, just kind of what's your what's your baseline on the ACC and Syracuse in it, Dan? Um, during the actual season, I actually, I, I enjoyed the league for the most part. Uh, I think it says we won twenty five games in a row, but um, I didn't think the drop off or anything was was a huge deal. Obviously, I I miss playing Georgetown. Um, I miss playing UConn. But overall, I thought that, I thought it was a lot of fun, especially because you know it was new and, and different. Um, having gone to Greensboro, there is no reason they should host a major anything event there. That, that city, close. <laughs> um, so, maybe not awful. It's just so mediocre. Um, so if they can get that tournament up to New York or Brooklyn or, or one of the you know obviously it's going to Washington in a couple of years, that'll be great. We do not need to put that tournament in Greensboro, North Carolina. There is nothing there for us. 
Um, so hopefully, can I, just, can I just say my my favorite thing when they announced that they were going to bring the tournament to Brooklyn was watching uh, North Carolina people complain about the food that they'll have to eat when they're in New York City. <laughs> Wait, like complaining about they were complaining about the quality of the food in New York, in New York City compared to Greensboro. When you're in Brooklyn, you are sad, sad little people. <laughs> Unbelievable. Sad little people. Well, no, I, I was in I was in North Carolina at about five in the morning, uh, just arriving, and I could not have been happier. Um, the Barclays Center is amazing. Uh, it's a really awesome arena, and the Greensboro Arena, the, whatever the Greensboro Arena is called, it wasn't bad itself. But there's just nothing there. It's just not a place where you should be having 16 te- or 15 teams. Or I don't think Boston College actually brought anyone, so 14 probably teams. Um, Coming to play basketball, it just doesn't make any sense. It's not a big city that's uh, that has the amenities to host uh, a tournament like that. And New York and Washington will be a lot better. So I'm looking forward to those tournaments in the future. Um, but overall, the ACC was a lot of fun. I thought uh, I missed some things, but hopefully we'll get those rivalries back on track. And it is what it is. I mean, it's not like we're going to go move conferences back, to, and that wouldn't make any sense. So we're going to get used to it. And people will adapt. I'm sure. Yeah, Jared. How about you? How was uh, year one in the ACC for you? I I enjoyed it, um, and now I I enjoyed you know seeing the new faces. I guess I enjoyed now really having a chance to play Duke every year, uh, North Carolina every year, uh, NC State every year. I'm really just dis- getting to the point where I really dislike those three teams, and that's good. Um, BC, I guess we could start uh, you know disliking them. Uh, a little bit more, especially after what they did to us at, at our home court this year. Um, Virginia, you know, what Tony Bennett looks like, is they're going to be a solid squad, uh, maybe, you know, for a heat now and into the future. And then, of course, you know, we're getting Louisville. I mean, that's a, that's a solid program. And, uh, hey, Buzz Williams has joined the fold, too. So, I mean, you're getting I – mean, I mean, for this year, it was a fun experience. And to see everything kind of come together, um, maybe the league – Quality-wise, wasn't as good as we thought it was uh, going into the season, but uh, I think that's going to change a little bit. I think well, these new head, these team, with Louisville coming in, all these head coaches needing to step up their game a little bit. Um, it's going to be fun, and I I enjoyed it. Uh, I, I didn't like, uh, you know, I knew this was going to happen. I think I didn't like kind of like that uh, Carolina bias, but I kind of figured that was going to happen. Um, and the, a lot of these fan bases, I really am going to enjoy disliking them. And that's a good thing. <laughs> um, uh, you know, you, you, with the Clemsons, with the football, and, you know, Florida State really came out on top of this whole thing, I think, this year. I think we really enjoyed uh, interacting with the Florida State fans. Uh, and, you know, if we can hang out in our hotels, at least on football, and enjoy their success a little bit while they throttle us. Um, you know, Georgia Tech killed us uh, in football and just broke our hearts in basketball, so we're never going to like them ever, and we're never going to want to play them. Uh, so there's a lot of good uh, that came out of this season when it comes to the ups and downs. And you know what? Not only did we, you know, create new friends, we kind of put a staple saying, hey, we're for real too, you know. We, you know, we got out of the gates there strong, got on the national spotlight, and uh, sent a message to the ACC that uh, we weren't messing around when we, we made the move here. And yeah, I think we're going to really reap the rewards from this move. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun moving forward. Cool. Love it. Lisa, how about you? No, I definitely, I definitely agree with what Jared said. It's, it's a little, it's strange because I obviously won't be able to include a couple teams, but, you know, the ACC is the ACC now plus the best of the Big East, or what it used to be at least. I mean, there's, if you think about it, you've added Syracuse, Pittsburgh, Notre Dame. Um, you know, Virginia Tech is not that great, but they used to be in the Big East. BC used to be in the Big East. You've got Buzz Williams coming in, Louisville coming in next year. All we got to do is figure out how to either get Jay Wright to take the Wake Forest job or get UConn to kind of finagle its way into the ACC somehow, and we'll be fine. Um, I mean, it's, the Big East is a shell of what it used to be, so I don't miss it. And we've got a good chunk of what we enjoyed from the Big East with us now, even if it's the teams, even if it's a, a feeling of a rivalry, which will develop 
you know, I'm great. I'm really excited that we've got Louisville coming in. I'm looking forward to that, and I'm looking forward to developing the remainder of the rivalries. And like what Jared said, Syracuse being able to stake its claim and say, you know, we can compete with the big boys who are here, and despite your Carolina bias, we're going to stick around. Um, I think that made a, a big impact on a lot of them and made a lot of the teams or fan bases dislike Syracuse, and I wouldn't have it any other way because at least that way, it will provide a bit of an impetus to keep the ACC tournament out of out of Greensboro um, on more than one occasion because they understand that moving it will piss people off, and so they're going to do it, and that will be phenomenal for the rest of us. Um, and I'm, I'm I'm very much looking forward to having Louisville in because they're an absolute powerhouse, and I can't wait for Rivalry Week when uh, Notre Dame can play Pittsburgh instead of who did they, who did they play Clemson or something this year? Never knew that was a rivalry. I don't think they did yeah, either. Something like that. But some some crazy it was a stupid matchup because Syracuse had to play Pittsburgh, so Syracuse, Syracuse will play Louisville, Notre Dame will play Pittsburgh. That'll be great. And like I said, the Big East isn't what it used to be. So go ACC. Yeah, and to, you know, you were saying you, let's find a way to get UConn in here. Jim Calhoun was is, if it's up to him, he'll he'll be in here. Uh, <laughs> know, college, trying to right? finagle his way in. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen, but that, I mean, from our perspective, I think that would be awesome just to have that whole the Calhoun Bayhunt thing going again. But uh, probably not. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, just put there John was a Thompson point. at Wake Forest. It'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, yeah, John Thompson then at Wake Forest, and John Thompson at Georgetown <laughs> at least for another year. Oh man. <laughs> But you know, yeah, I mean, to your point, like you basically said what what Beheim said in the thirty for thirty, which was you know the Big East we left was not the Big East as we all remember it, and so uh, you know to that point there was a I remember there was a point during the season where I realized, oh yeah, I do not miss playing Seton Hall or Providence at all. I mean, I'm like so over that you know I like I know we say you know I'd love to play Georgetown. I'd love to play UConn. You know, we have Villanova. We've got St. John's. Beyond that, there really isn't anybody else in the old Big East that I really care about or miss. So, um, you know, as long as we can keep those teams, uh, you know, for old time's sake, it would be nice. Although DePaul, yeah, I mean, especially after they beat Georgetown, that was, uh, we kind of owe them for that. That made us feel good. But, you know, I think – I think that ultimately they're, we're probably going to try and keep uh, St. John's and Villanova, and we'll probably – I'm sure we'll play Georgetown again at some point. Um, maybe we'll play UConn again. I don't know. But as long as we can keep some of those teams in the rotation, that's fine. And uh, and I think, Dan, like you said, like you know, time marches on, and now we're an ACC team, and we have ACC rivals, and uh, it's great to have Duke – I think we've kind of forgotten about North Carolina this year because they were down when we played them. But um, you know, over time, they're always going to they're going to come back. They'll be a powerhouse again. So uh, so that'll be great to to have on the docket as well. So I think it's it's good. And with Louisville coming, it's only going to get any get better and more intense. So I'm all for it. So um, so yeah, that's yeah. Just one point, yeah, Sean. You mentioned the thirty for thirty. Uh, and that was like when I watched that. I know there was a lot of talk about that, and we're talking about the ACC and the Big East kind of going back and forth, and then it kind of all, you know. I will say that when I watched that thirty for thirty, you know, despite you know some of the maybe the facts or the bias that was in it, and then uh, I just I really missed Madison Square Garden, or at least the New York atmosphere. And if ACC fans are listening to this at all, you just you have no idea, like the. The difference between you know watching that our you know I watched every game in the ACC's tournament, and then I watched the, the you know the Big East tournament this year at MSG with Creighton and Providence being in the title game, and just you can feel it through the TV the difference in the atmosphere of being on that stage. It needs to happen, and uh, and hopefully it will happen sooner than later. And hey, just imagine you know Syracuse, North Carolina, Duke, Louisville. Uh, yeah, those three teams on that stage, uh, you know, maybe on a quarterfinal day or like a semifinal day, uh, what you know, what a what an atmosphere that would be for college basketball. And uh, I just so hope it happens. I, we'll get there. It'll take a little time, but I think uh, eventually, Madison Square Garden will look around and say, you know, we probably be 
better off having the ACC tournament in here than the Big East one, and they'll work it out. So, no um, one's coming to see DePaul play. Yeah, basically. That's all we have to do. We just have to point at DePaul and say, you get that or you get us. Conference of DePaul. Yeah. So, uh, well, cool. I appreciate you guys jumping on today. Uh, you know, bummer. Yeah, uh, yesterday, as of the recording, this will go up Monday on the site. But, um, uh, you know, always good things to look forward to. The team will reload. Uh, hopefully we'll get Ennis or Grant or both back in uh another season uh, ahead and plenty more t-shirts to come so um dan how can people uh keep in touch with you or check out your stuff um obviously i pop in and out on on new position um i'm also writing full-time over at collegespun.com and uh twitter i'm dan underscore lions 76 Cool. Jared, how about you? How can people uh, get in touch with you and complain about you to you, uh, directly to you? <laughs> directly? Uh, the best way to do it, obviously, is on Twitter. Uh, Jared Smith, uh, CNY. Uh, hey, I've reached that 1,000 uh, follower mark this year. That was a milestone for me. I really appreciate that. A lot of that help came from uh, Noon Congestion. Uh, so that was kind of thing. It took me like three or four years to get there. I've been on this blogging thing for a while now, and it just took forever to get there. So I really appreciate that. And uh, unfortunately, you no, know, this time of year for me, it's 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 golf season. So uh, a lot of golf tweets uh, and all-season Syracuse news. Uh, but I really appreciate all the fans this year. It was uh, a heck of a ride, and I can't wait to uh, football season. I mean, we got spring football coming up, and then we got football season. That means the college season starts all over again. So. Uh, really appreciate Can't wait to interact with people as uh, we get closer to that. So thanks a lot, everyone. Yeah, and actually I feel like we've been uh, slacking on our football stuff because there was a bunch of stuff that happened last week, but uh, our minds were elsewhere. Uh, Lisa, how about you? How can people get in touch with you and uh, and find out what you're writing about? Uh, you can obviously find me on newsmagician.com, and you can find me on Twitter, E-L-L-E Nelson 9, L Nelson 9, because there are 150,000 Lisa Nelsons, and that was never <laughs> going to be my Twitter handle, ever. Um, so I, I did my best to keep it as close to my real hand as possible, and uh, I, I am in the midst of developing a site of my own, circling college basketball recruiting in general, not Syracuse-related, and I'm not giving you the URL yet, because it's not live. But uh, look for that to come in the next couple weeks so that you guys can check it out. Um, I live in New England. It's kind of a hotbed for recruiting AAU and um, prep schools. So I've decided to take advantage of that and a couple really solid connections that I've been developing and seeing where that can take me. Um, So I will be developing that, and as soon as it's ready to go, you guys will be the first to know. So keep me um, on your list for some things like that. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Exciting. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and, all right, we are out of here. This is uh, I'm Sean Keeley. You can find me at Noons Magician on Twitter, NoonsMagician.com. Uh, that's about it. So uh, thanks, you guys, for, for chatting today. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and uh, we'll see you on the site. Scoring. At Jared. We know devotion isn't a a once-a-year occasion, and once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.